Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. Today we're going to talk about 10 things you should know about child support. This is based on a blog we wrote several years ago. It's received over 1 million views and we thought it'd be a good subject matter for this podcast. Today I'm joined by Girl Guide leader and lawyer, Michelle Melchin. Welcome. Thanks, Russ. Welcome to you as well. You're not Wonder Woman today? I am Wonder Woman every day. Okay. I love the name of our podcast, by the way. Thank you. I feel like it's a tongue twister. Well, I twisted my tongue, so let's make a start. (laughs) So the first thing we're going to talk about is what is child support? So all dependent children have a right to be supported by their parents. When parents are separated, though, who pays for what? That's actually one of the biggest concerns and fears that clients have when they walk into the room and one of the first things they want to talk about with me. And the reality is we have to sit down and we have to decide that. So when parents don't live together, they have different options for coming to this arrangement. Either one, we can enter into an agreement if the parties can agree, or two, we can go to court and have a judge decide. I always tell my clients it's better to sit down and have an agreement between the two of you. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're having a person who doesn't know you, who doesn't know your kids, who doesn't know your financial situation, make these really big decisions that are going to affect you now and also 18 years from now. So Michelle, what do you do about a parent? You know, we get our clients who come in, whether it's a mother or father, and they say, you know, I don't need child support or I don't want child support. I don't think my spouse should be paying that much. The guideline amounts too much. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast. But what do you do about the reluctant child support recipient? It's funny because because we do get this quite often, the reluctant child support recipient. And the reality is that child support is not for the recipient, it's for the child. And what that means is if a child has an extra X number of dollars, they can do more things. They can do girl guides, they can do soccer, they can do swimming, they can do tutoring. It just allows the child to have the standard of of living that is equal at both parents' house. You can also dress up as Wonder Woman for Halloween, right? (laughs) That's right. Or the Avengers. They're my favorites. All right, so number two, parents and guardians. Who are parents and guardians? A parent or guardian can be the birth mother or father, an adoptive parent, or a step-parent who has been married to someone with children or who has lived as a couple with someone with children and who has shown an intention to treat those children of members of his or her family. So what about grandparents, Russ? Grandparents is a great question. Uh, I don't think they're defined as parents. I don't think they're required to pay child support. Certainly, uh, lots of cases deal with parent grandparent access, and um, there's lots of case law talks about whether grandparents can have access independent of uh, independent of the parents. But there are parent grandparents who are become parents. So if mom and dad for some reason can't parent for some reason, there could be uh, issues of drug abuse or misuse, or a parent could be incarcerated. Sometimes grandparents will step in and take over, uh, but separated grandparents generally do not pay child support to each other. That's great. Thanks for that. Number three, who pays child support? Child support is the responsibility of the parents or guardians, and it is basically financial support for the dependent children. And usually with child support, we do it based on something called the child support guidelines. 
And what that simply means is that we take the parent's income and we usually use their last year's income tax returns. Or if there's been a change, we can use the current income as well. And um, these guidelines are actually online. You can Google them and find them yourself. And they're posted in a grid format based on how many children and what income you earn. And with child support, it's really interesting because more than one parent can pay child support for a child. So for instance, we've had cases where um, a mom and a dad separate and then mom repartners. And so she is receiving child support from a biological dad, but then she also later on can receive child support from stepdad as well. So sometimes there's uh, what they call in loco parentis or standing in place in a parent. So let's just say a couple starts dating and one of them has a child and they date for several years. Is the non-parent going to be on the hook for some child support? They very well uh, could be, and it depends on the situation and um, what happened during that relationship and whether that parent meant to step in and take the place of a parent. So even though that person didn't parent that child biologically, Correct. they're still on the hook to pay child support? They absolutely could be. So we always tell our clients, come in, speak with us. Let's go over what happened and um, you know what we can do to either minimize or negotiate that child support arrangement because it may not be the full child support. And Michelle, you talked about uh, looking at tax returns to get an idea of the income to determine the support. I guess you then look at the child support guidelines. Yes. But what about about clients who come in and say, you know, the other spouse runs their own business, they make cash. What do we do in a situation like that where the tax return might say they make 5,000 a year? And we know that's not the case. Those are my favorite clients. I love numbers. So generally what we do is we can go back to their corporate financial statements and look at things such as deductions to see whether or not they qualify for deductions for child support. These are two separate things. So child support deductions are not the same as allowable deductions for businesses. And we can actually impute back some things. So one common thing, for instance, is a cell phone. Many people have cell phones for businesses, and of course we use it for both personal and business expenses. A court may look at that and say, well, if 50% is for personal, we should actually add back that personal amount. And sometimes you'll see they declare $5,000 in income, but their financial statement says they're spending $70,000. Or they have retained earnings of $100,000. Absolutely. We look at every single thing. Here at Russell Alexander, we look at uh, financial statements. We are first at looking at corporate books. And if we um, need to, we can actually take the extra step of doing an income determination or a business valuation. So, Michelle, sometimes we get clients who come in and... um... They say, you know, I want shared parenting, I want 50% of the time, we're counting days, and they think that if uh, there's a shared parenting regime in some fashion, then they don't have to pay child support. Uh, let's just say, you know, I represent the dad, he's making 100000 mom's making 50000 and dad thinks he's going to be off the hook because it's shared parenting. What do we do in situations like that? Believe it or not, Russ, the courts have seen this a million times. And so we have an actually a very simple way to deal with it, and that's called set-off child support. And the calculations are very simple. You go back to the child support guidelines, you look at what dad would have had to pay mom in child support, and then you look at what mom would have had to pay dad in child support, and the person who has the um, higher amount just pays the set-off, the difference. Right. And the guidelines have different sections to it. I think this is Section 9 uh, analysis that you're talking about. Absolutely, Russ.
Number four, when to apply for child support. Well, we just finished talking about who pays for child support. Most parents apply for child support after they're separated or when they're getting a divorce. Um, in, my, in my experience, delay can cause prejudice to a child support recipient. So what that means is if you sit on your hands and you don't raise the issue of support for several years, uh, the court's going to be reluctant to go back in time. And they're going to be reluctant for several reasons because the prejudice is the other parent has budgeted and lived their life accordingly. And there could be difficulty in getting income information and going back several years. So the takeaway for this uh, point, in my view, is apply as soon as you can. Get the child support started. Even if uh, you have incomplete or inaccurate information, you can then later adjust support retroactively. And what do you do, Russ, about those cases where one parent simply disappears or hides their information? Right. Well, if they're hiding information, the court can impute income to them. If they disappear, um, you can get a Rule 39 default hearing and a judgment for child support. Although it's not getting paid, if the person reappears or if you discover that person has property, you can then uh, proceed to collect your child support. So you basically cemented your child support at that at that time? Yeah, you've locked it in. The support payer has a duty to respond to your requests. If it's a written request, it's very important. If it's court order, they have a duty to comply with court orders. That's great. So what happens for us if you have a parent who simply disappears or a parent who hides income? Right. So the parent who hides income, you're going to want to impute income to them and get some evidence before the court to say that their income's higher. Uh, the guidelines uh, have a section to enable, allow courts to impute income if somebody's under-reporting income. If they simply disappear, uh, my advice is still commence a court application, get an order for support. The order will continue, and if the support payer shows up later, we can then enforce the order. That's a great idea. So basically, you're cementing your support. That's exactly right. Number five, when does child support end? Child support has to be paid if a child is still a dependent and they're under 18 years. Now, this can be um, changed if the child has married or if they are 16 and, and over and they have voluntarily left parental control, meaning that they no longer live with that parent. In a situation where a child has turned 18, there may still be child support owing. And that happens in a number of situations. The first is if they have a disability or an illness and they're unable to become self-sufficient. Another circumstance is when they're attending school on a full-time basis. This could be college, post-secondary, they could be abroad for school. Usually what happens is parents will have to pay for a child's first degree or until they're 22 years of age. A judge will also take into account a child's earnings so if a child is earning, for instance, money through an internship, that may defer some of the costs that a parent has to pay towards that child's tuition. That's a great point. And also, I think the court will consider the family context. So let's just say mom and dad are both doctors and the child wants to continue on with education past 22 or the first degree and get a medical degree. I think there's a good chance the court's going to require the parents to pay for that degree. What do you think of that? Absolutely, approach? Russ. My husband and I were chatting about this just the other day because we both happen to be lawyers. And there was a recent case where a child was 26 and the court had ordered that um, the parents continue to pay support for the child because one parent was a lawyer and the expectation that had been 
put on that child from their birth was that um, one degree is not sufficient. So you better start saving for law Oh, you know we have to save. So, Michelle, what about the situation where, and we see this a lot, the child's 18, out of school, out of the home, working full-time. The parent paying the support uh, contacts the other parent. The other parent ignores them or continues to collect support. Let's say it's going through FRO and it's an automatic collection. What do you do then? The child doesn't appear to qualify for support, but the parent is continuing to collect the money. Great question, Russ. I actually had a really fun case like this where mom insisted that child was going to school and dad found pictures on Facebook of the child in Italy running around on a beach somewhere. So what you can do is start a motion to change and bring it to the court's attention because the court can mandate that the child's records be provided to confirm whether or not they're attending school. So it, let's just say it takes us a few months to get it before a judge. Uh, is it open to the judge to go back in time and say uh, there's been an overpayment? Absolutely. And judges can find that there are overpayments and they can give the payor parent a credit or a return on their money if they've overpaid, especially in a case where the other parent has voluntarily withheld that information. And is there any kind of punishment for the parent that chose not to stop the support? Absolutely. Courts will always... Um, consider whether or not costs should be paid on any matter, especially one where they find that one parent went out of their way to make things difficult for the other. And when you say costs, you mean they're going to have to pay some of the other person's legal bill? That's correct, Russ. Okay, thank you. Number six, what is a child support agreement? There are several different ways that you can uh, obtain a child support agreement. Three of them are, the parents are, number one, if parents are working together, they're encouraged to look at the child support guidelines exchange true and complete information about their incomes, apply the guidelines, and figure out what the proper level of child support is going to be. Ideally, you'll have a lawyer prepare an agreement in writing. You'll both sign it, and that will then be enforceable. The second way you can obtain a child support agreement, if the parents are having issues working out what the proper child support should be, they can go see a mediator or a neutral professional who's going to provide an unbiased opinion in terms of what the guideline amount should be. That's not going to be legal advice. It's just going to be an opinion in terms of what income you should use and what the child support should be. The third option, obviously, if you want a support agreement, is to hire your own lawyer. They can negotiate the terms. They're experienced with the guidelines. If there is still a disagreement in terms of what the child support amount should be, the lawyer can then commence a court application and ask a judge to determine the support amount. Excellent, Russ. Now what happens when there is a drastic change in income from year to year? So let's say the support payer made 50000 in one year, but the next year it goes up to 100000 Right. Ideally, your agreement will have some type of review mechanism, and the guidelines provide for a review. What we usually do is we'll review it in May or June when the tax returns are completed and the notices of assessment from Canada Revenue Agency are issued. And then usually most parents will adjust support based on line 150 of the income. Now, if there's huge fluctuations in income, let's just say somebody's receiving bonuses one year and somebody's not going to receive the bonus, what you can do is average three years out and have a rolling average to try to accommodate the fluctuations in income. The three-year average is a really good idea, Russ. I think it helps a lot of parents who are in exactly that situation. Number seven, access when child support is not paid. 
So what do you do when you have an access parent who is not paying child support? A lot of my clients come in and say that they would really like to cut off access to the access parent because they're not paying child support and that it's unfair for one parent to bear that burden while the other parent simply decides not to pay. Unfortunately, that's not the right way to go about it. Cutting off access to the other parent is actually punishing the child and not the parent. And the courts find that there is a very strong reason to continue to have a good relationship and maintain a good relationship with both parents for the child or children. So there are other ways to deal with this. And we have talked about a few of them, but you can go back to court to get the support enforced. You can also go see your lawyer and negotiate terms. There's sometimes reasons why the support isn't being paid. Maybe the support payer has um, run in hard times. Maybe they have um, seen a decrease in their income. But whatever the reason, there are better ways that we can go about ensuring that you collect the support while still maintaining your child's um, good health and good relationship with the other parent. And that's a difficult um, conversation lawyers need to have with their clients. Oftentimes they'll get a client who says, you know, the other parent missed their their support check or they didn't make their support check this, this month, so I'm going to cancel access this weekend. So you really have to do a lot of coaching, a lot of education. Studies show that children who have good relationships with both parents end up being more productive, healthy members of society. And it's really important to remind your clients and parents that you must put the children's best interests first and try to encourage the relationship with the other parent. And that's one of your primary functions if you're a custodial parent receiving child support. Absolutely, Russ. We also tell our clients that there are family professionals out there who we can hire to help the parents through some of these um, decisions, um, problems, concerns that crop up. And as exactly as you said, it's really for the best interest of the child, right? And another option, Michelle, that's on the table is if you do have a written support agreement, you can file that with the family responsibility for enforcement and let them worry about collection. Absolutely. FRO is absolutely free. It's paid for by the government and you might as well get them to enforce the agreement rather than having to do it yourself and go to court. Great tip. Enforcement of child support in Ontario. Enforcement of child support is done through the provincial government in an office called the Family Responsibility Office. This office is sometimes referred to as FRO. When FRO receives a payment, it sends the payment to the parent who has custody and deposits the money directly into that parent's bank account. When, if there's a support deduction order issued by the court, that should contain all the information FRO will need to enforce the support payment. It'll include the payer's address, the payroll department, their employer, and the deductions can be done automatically. Or you can choose to withdraw from FRO and be paid directly by the other spouse. Russ, I always get this question. What happens if the other spouse, for instance, bounces a check and you end up with multiple NSF fees? Right. At that point, it might be an idea to have it enforced by the Family Responsibility Office. We, we often have clients who feel like they have to go to their spouse hat in hand asking for the support payment. It can be embarrassing. It can be disempowering. It can be discouraging. Uh, child support's not designed. Uh, for that purpose. It's designed to help the kids meet their needs. So if you're receiving multiple bounce checks, my advice is, would be if you have a written agreement to file it with parole for enforcement. 
I also find that it's a form of control that some people withhold the child support for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, knowing intentionally that they're causing balance checks, that they're causing mortgage payments to be missed. Right. They're poking the bear, and especially during the holidays at Christmas when everybody's on a tight budget, um, unfortunately, it's sometimes used by that, used that way by support payers. It's a shame, but at least there's a way to deal with it. That's right. Number nine, how can the FRO collect child support? The FRO actually has a lot of tools as, at its disposal to be able to collect child support. There's a simple one of simply getting the payments directly from the parent, or FRO can actually have payments automatically deducted from the parent's wages, from their bank accounts, from other sources of income. They can even take some tax refunds if they need to. FRO can also do things like register a charge or a lien against property, or they can garnish funds that are sitting in an account. For instance, if someone has an account with $2,000, they can actually take some of the amount. Interestingly as well, if you have a joint account with another member, so for instance, a new girlfriend or a parent, and you're trying to hide the money there, FRO can actually take up to 50% of that account as well. So it has a lot of different powers at its disposal. Now, if the FRO really wanted to put more pressure on parents, they can also take more exaggerated steps, such as suspending someone's driver's license, reporting them to a credit bureau, or even canceling their passports. And if the driver's license is suspended and the pair chooses to continue to drive, that creates a whole slate of new problems for the pair. They could face criminal charges, driving with suspended license. They can end up in provincial offenses court. I find that's a very effective way for fraud and enforce support. Absolutely. You know, the moment that support payors get these notices from FRO and they see that their license is going to be suspended, that's usually when they come to court with clean hands, with um, a plan. And, and a checkbook. And a checkbook. And FRO is, is very forgiving. They will work with you to create a plan so that you don't, if you're owing $5,000 and you don't have that money, you don't have to come to court with a check for $5,000. But they're going to want something paid towards the arrears. Oh, absolutely. They're going to want to see um, a court order stating that you're going to pay on a regular basis. And if you comply with that court order, that's great. And if you don't comply with that court order, they can take even further steps. And suspending a passport, especially with the way we travel these days, can be very effective. We had, uh, I saw a case where the support pair left Canada and had no intention of paying the support. The passport was suspended and then they weren't able to travel any further. So they had to deal with the issue at that point. They couldn't, they couldn't leave the country they're in, and the support ended up getting paid in that case. Absolutely. Those are great cases because it shows that the system is working. Right. Number 10, how to reduce child support. So if you think that your child support should be reduced, you have to realize that FRO cannot automatically reduce it. Instead, what you have to do is either get a new agreement with the ex, or you can go to court. Another great option that we use at our firm a lot is called the collaborative process. So instead of going to court and spending a lot of money on unnecessary legal fees, especially on an issue that should be relatively easy to determine, you can use the collaborative process to come up with an agreement that works for everyone. If there are issues such as imputation of income or business expenses, we have people called financial professionals who will actually sit down with your financial statements, with your corporate tax returns, and determine what amount should be added back and what amounts are proper corporate expenses. Yeah, and the one thing I would add is, um, 
it would be a good idea to get legal advice before you make any change to child support. We've had clients who go to change child support and we then discover their income had gone up by $100,000 or more. And in fact, they had been underpaying child support for several years. And so they faced a retroactive claim because they weren't making the disclosure. But certainly, um, ideally, what you would do is get an agreement with your spouse in terms of whether the child support should end or should be reduced. Great tip, Russ. So that completes our podcast today on the top 10 things you should know about child support. I want to thank Michelle for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Russ. I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. We hope you've had found it informative and helpful. See you next time. Cheers.